Hey guys, Jared here, CEO and founder of Luminous. This is the Ops Unfiltered podcast. I started Ops Unfiltered because I know what it feels like to be in operations and e-commerce. You're handling every single part of the business. It's easy to feel siloed in. It's easy to feel like you have to find a solution for everything. I hope that by bringing raw conversations from other operators in e-commerce that you can extract some value and not feel alone. Many of the operations leaders in e-commerce are running into the same problems that you're running into. So I hope that maybe their solutions can be your solutions. Maybe you can feel not so alone in the warehouse, in purchasing, in your supply chain. So that's my hope. I hope this can be valuable for all of you. Let's dive in to have some raw conversations. How did you approach the building of that product? We knew the industry very well. We knew all the players in the industry, but we took a customer first approach. I would say our best strength is our entire product team would, hey, we're this massive system, we'll grow with you, you'll become huge and we'll be with you the whole time. But the truth is it's, it's doing too much. These softwares are built for companies with thousands of employees. We understand that a lot of these operators haven't done this before and they like the guidance and the help. What are you most excited about in the future of the product? Excited is like this, it changes constantly. Right now the big hype is like AI. Yeah, I think something we've done better than anybody, anybody we've talked to. I'm sure there's yeah. people out there, but. I want to start with your background real fast. Is oh. it, and then how, how you came to Luminous. Okay. So how, I guess, Qualify yourself as like a product head or like a CTO. What was your background in product and coding? And so before I came to Luminous, I had just spent probably about what six or seven years at a company called Four Up. Uh, we were a golf management, golf course management software, and so it was a complicated beast. Golf courses are kind of small businesses, generally doing between one and three million dollars a year. But they have this complex business of reservations, they have online bookings, they have membership management, they have inventory. And so they need an ERP, but obviously they can't afford to purchase a NetSuite or a you know, an old branded ERP system. And so they kind of have to go and find their own. And there's this big space. And so I came into Four Up as a really early employee, as the CTO, uh, heading up uh, development and product at first with just, I think we were like eight or 10 employees at the time. Uh, we had about uh, 80 to 100 golf courses and then we expanded the product from there. So we were building a product that could service the smallest golf courses to the largest golf courses. You guys had a decent sized exit. Um, so obviously you did something well. Forb ended up becoming the number one software in the industry. So it's a very crowded space with probably five or six million service providers. Um, and Forp ended up reaching over 2,000 golf courses. And it was the software of choice by cities, by management companies for years. We had a 0% churn, practically speaking, uh, before we were acquired in 2020 uh, by an, an, a larger company who liked our product and wanted to expand even more. Knowing you now, I feel like that's because the, the reason why Forp was able to have that much success is probably how you approach product. That that has to be a big part of their success. So how did you approach the building of that product? And why do you think you guys were able to rise to the top? There was a lot of people involved and it was just, wasn't just me, but we had a take of, we knew the industry very well. We knew all the players in the industry. And we also 
but we took a customer first approach. So four up as a whole was this, our goal was to help small businesses like golf courses succeed when golf running a business wasn't maybe their number one concern. This is where I think it parallels with e-commerce a lot is e-commerce operators get into this, not being MBAs, not knowing finance, not knowing the minutia of what it takes to run a business. They're just creators. In the golf industry back then, mm-hmm. was NetSuite trying to go down market or Acumatic or like? No, no. It, I, <sighs> golf courses, they're, they don't have much more money to spend. And it's, uh, it's actually a fairly crowded space. There's a lot of T-sheet companies in that area that are building very similar products. And so standing out is very difficult. And so you take a generic one like NetSuite, who's just built for everybody, and it doesn't really mesh really well at all. Got it. Um, how, how did you approach, since you guys are customer-centric, how did you approach building decisions? Because if you're customer-centric, you, I know you guys probably took a lot of feedback on the product. Yeah, everything but. was super. We had, I would say our best strength is our entire product team would scope out features and interview 20, 30, 40 customers um, from various size golf courses to different types of courses. And they would take that feedback, compile it, go back to the customer over and over and over again. And so what the end user ended up getting was what would deliver the most value and not what you know a tech guy created in the corner. Mm, got it. And so and we I think we saw that a lot is that a lot of the core a lot of the competitors in the space were building just generic scheduling software. They weren't at the course. I would say I just remembered this. One of the things we would do is we'd actually go on weekend trips. Um, and spend several hours in the pro shop at these golf courses just watching them work. And you start to notice things that they're doing that are annoying, that are, you know, take a lot of time, that are repetitive, that you're like, oh, we can actually just make your life way easier. And I, I, that's the approach we're taking here at Luminous as well, is it's, hey, we kind of understand how operators work. We have these ideas, but let's fly out to these uh, companies. Let's see how they're working. Why doesn't a big and we're asking the questions like why doesn't this big ERP system work for you know this small five to ten million dollar company? Well, let's let's backtrack just a little bit. So, um, just to close off your days at Four Up, profile. Oh yeah. So you 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 guys eventually obviously it was a team effort. You're a big part of it. You were the CTO mm-hmm. of Four Up. You guys became the number one ERP in the golf space. Mm-hmm. Eventually exited. You were acquired by a private equity form, firm. Um, then you moved on to Luminous. So you were you were highlighting a couple of parallels that you see between building an ERP in the golf space and then also building a big system of record for e-commerce. Obviously, the market is much bigger for general e-commerce. What were what are some of the parallels that you saw, and why did you join Luminous? Yes. So the people who run and operate a golf course are people who love golf. They don't love running a business, um, nor do they really understand fully how a business, how it should be ran. They kind of get in and they learn on the spot. I feel like e-commerce is a lot the same way. Not that people don't have the same passion about selling online as they have playing right. golf, but I think they have the they fall into it accidentally, and so they love the idea. Maybe it's uh, becoming wealthy or starting their own business that drives them. But then they fall into this business that's all of a sudden doing decent revenue. They have 50 to 100 employees and they've never been in that situation before and they don't know how things are supposed to operate. And you start throwing out words like uh, POs and transfer orders and pick lists and pick orders and location bin locations and 
some people have an understanding, but it's all very surface level and they don't want a big system in the place. Yeah, and I, I think a, a trend that we are um, that we're seeing right now is massive ERPs are going down market. Mm-hmm. So we see you and I see this all the time. NetSuite is really jamming their product down these e-commerce founders' throats. Mm-hmm. Like you're running into all of these issues that modern e-commerce companies run into. Like implement NetSuite, we'll solve all of your problems. What do you what do you think the issue is with that? I think the promise is that hey, we're this massive system. We'll grow with you. We'll, you'll become huge, and we'll be with you the whole time. Um, but the truth is, it's just it's doing too much. These softwares are built for companies with thousands of employees, and it's built to around the processes that a massive company should have, and not the processes that a small company actually has. And so. You, what a company needs is they need software that melds to what they're actually doing right now and can grow with them at a rate that makes sense to them. Mitch Sanders from Thread, he had a great quote where, uh, so Thread is like a perfect ICP for us. Mm-hmm. They they went to NetSuite before we even existed, I believe. Yeah. But he was just like, you know, our tech stack, our inventory management and everything is like a Toyota Corolla. Like, ah, like we didn't have all the features we needed, but it was reliable. He's like, we went to NetSuite and it just feels like we we upgraded to a Ferrari, a Corolla to a Ferrari. <laughs> it's like, oh, completely. I feel yeah. like what people, it, that was such a great analogy because, like, think about the maintenance of a Ferrari. And that's what people don't get mm-hmm. when they upgrade to NetSuite. Yes, it can go 250 miles per hour. That's true. But it also requires so much service instead of, Instead of like you brought up transfer orders, mm-hmm. instead of like a you know a copy and paste on Google Sheet, no friction. All of a sudden, you have to customize NetSuite through approval processes and pulling and warehouse groups and if it does pick and pack and like. Pretty soon, it's just like wow, like this was uh, a lot more complicated than we thought. Yeah, you know a lot of things it does. So we, I think we see this in like NetSuite and Deer Systems and a few others where they're, they're built for accountants as financial systems. Um, and accountants are great. They know how to do financial models, but the operations of a business don't necessarily fit into the strict structure of accounting. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran into this all the time at 4UP. Accountants would say, it has to be this way. But then you talk to the operators and they're like, we don't, that's too much. We don't need it that complicated. It's easier just to build a system around what the operators need and let the accountants finish, figure it out later. Maybe you get to a point where that doesn't make sense and you need all the strict structure in place. But for a small company, it's just, it's way too much. Yeah, and and also the companies that we target, yes, everybody's trying to grow, but you know, maybe their ceiling is just a $20 million a year brand or mm-hmm. a $50 million a year brand. And, you know, if, if, that, if that were true, then... Why do you need NetSuite? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> They're just going to be leeching off of you for the rest of eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, building building a system that can or has as comparable breadth of features to a NetSuite or an Acumatica, it's really difficult for us to. It's got to be really difficult as a tech head to handle that. How, how how do you approach the building of Luminous to make sure 
um, we build what our customers need, mm-hmm. but we're also building for scale. Yeah, there's a model we look at, and it's we want to introduce as few as little friction as possible in order to uh, implement the product fully for them. So a business probably needs the full set of tools, but the accuracy <clears throat> changes. How I'm trying to think of a good example. It's like, like Picklist, for example. We'll talk with customers who don't have bins by location by bins. They don't have official pick list. They don't have a QC process, but their inventory is completely accurate or 99% accurate. And so if we come in there and we're like, here's the right way to run a business. You have to print out a pick list. Then you have to go pick it. And then you have to go stage it. And then you have to print out the label. And you have to scan it. You have to scan everything. (laughs) It's just like you add all this unnecessary friction so they can get that extra 1% of inventory accuracy. So we build it for those people. We're like, we want the operators to be able to decide how much friction or how many processes do we want to add and then measure that with how much benefit are we getting. Because eventually those businesses will scale to a point where maybe their inventory is only 80% accurate. And it's like, all right, we need something in place in order to increase it by 15%. And so the increased costs of doing QC verification and pick and pack and location by bins, all of a sudden it makes sense. And so we build a product that scales with them as they need the right features. Mm. And I feel like internal in the clients that we service, there's pull between the executives or the founders who they want, as they're growing, they want more high-level views of like, how efficient is my warehouse? Like, can, let me pull together an actual forecast. Let's make sure we're getting the best cost. And then you have the operators who are, who are doing everything. Mm-hmm. So it's... I guess just my my commentary on what you just said is how can we give the founders and C-suites of these these bigger e-commerce companies that high-level visibility that they're craving now to scale more while also giving the least amount of friction in processes yeah, to, to like the operators? Because um, like, for example, hey, you know, we really need to get our order defect rate down or our our order inaccuracies, like the the pickers are putting in the wrong uh, the wrong bins. At scale, that becomes more of an issue, and the founders are like, "Yeah, we need to do something about this." Well, Luminous, the cool thing about that, like QC verification, how you built it, is you can manually verify, you can toggle it on or off. Where I th- like it won't mm-hmm. com- it won't force you to do it unless you wanted to. You can verify everything in the order manually, or you can scan everything. Like it's it's very flexible. Um, yeah, and we want to be able to come in, and we understand a lot of these operators haven't done this before, and they like the guidance and the help. And we'll offer our suggestions and tell you this is how we've seen other co- companies do it. But what we never want to do is to come in and say this is the right way to do it. You're doing it wrong. You have to follow it. And I've talked to so many people who take that approach, they come in and say, this is the way you must follow. And it just, it breaks. I think we even did it for a while. Yeah, We'd come yeah. into a business and say, that's not the right way of doing it. Yep. And it's just, it's not the right take, I don't think. Yeah, because ultimately, the people using the software have to adopt it. Mm-hmm. And what what holds people back from adoption? Well, it's if they don't agree with the process forcing. Yeah, like if, a process you, change. if you have to pivot the process 100%, and then you have to, and it adds more friction. It adds a whole bunch of extra steps. Like the, the last thing you want to do 
is to have a list of things you have to follow just to keep the system in take. One thing I'll say about you is I, I think there might be some higher level tech minds who might listen to what you're saying and be like, oh, so you're just customizing the product for every single person. Like, no, we're not. It We're actually, we've seen in other markets people challenge the status quo of rigid processes. So for example, like product management and managing de- a, de- a development mm-hmm. team of like an uh, of a tech product Atlassian really disrupted the industry like that they you can you can come in at, at an, you can come in for free as an Atlassian customer and you can grow to like a massive team same thing with HubSpot what HubSpot did to Salesforce like they've proven they challenged the status quo that like no it doesn't have to be super rigid that's that's what I I actually think we are just challenging the status quo of supply chain inventory systems. Um, e-commerce is just highlighting, no, this old, antiquated, rigid way of doing things, you don't have to do it that way. And, and the systems haven't changed yet. And so the counter-argument I would hear is like, oh, X, this X brand already does this. They have automations. And I think what we find is People build this super structured, like, this is how a business should run. And then they bolt on automations on the end. And so if anybody's listening, I guarantee they've talked to a sales rep who's like, oh, we have automations, it'll make, they'll fix it all. And what you end up with is this like automation soup that like <laughs> kind of melds the rigid structure. But then you have these automations that are doing something in the background. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. And I've talked to, uh, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 uh, small e-commerce companies who all have that same feedback. Um, automations just seem to be this big thing, and every company does it. And we'll, while we have automations, it's not—it's p- almost part of the foundation of how everything works. Is we have small components; they're meant to kind of work together independently or with user input, and that's how we we're trying to do things differently. Because we want to work for that company that's two people, as well as we work for a company that's one thousand people. Exactly. Yeah, and and that that rigid point of view just comes from the belief of it, it comes from the belief of you should do your picking flow like this. You should do counts like this. You should receive like this. Mm-hmm. You should purchase like that. And where e-commerce is just like busting the door open on all of that is an e-commerce company can purchase, they can send something to a 3PL kit something within their warehouse. Like it's no longer so rigid, those lines between supply chain. So you know some experience you don't uh, I don't think you know that I have is for a year I worked as a JD Edwards consultant. What? JD Edwards is like a NetSuite esque ERP system. And so we would go in, implement JD Edwards, and the client would then spend, you know, probably at the end of the day, they spent millions of dollars customizing JD Edwards to do what they wanted to um, and it was just, it's very similar to how the NetSuite approach where it's, all right, let's take this really rigid box. You can spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and let's customize the ERP to meet your needs. And at the end of the day, you kind of get something that works. It's great if you're a big multinational corporation with, you know, tens of thousands of employees, but it's just so overkill for it's something that you and I have, we, we talk about this all the time, but to bring it on camera, it's like, Another reason why NetSuite will eventually be out of date for e-commerce is these e-commerce companies, 
they do everything ad hoc. And especially with the introduction of AI and building, like, like we're saying, this flexible product, like that is not NetSuite. Like it can be if you have the money. Right. If you have a few million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, you can customize NetSuite. I mean, that was that's one of the nice ideas. And that's why NetSuite can apply to so many different industries, because it can be customized if you have infinite money and can spend it. Yeah, I, I think where we're really hoping to emerge is like that. We want to be the number one inventory and supply chain tool for e-commerce companies. Mm-hmm. And what what we're building towards, which NetSuite, they can't scrap their product, product and redo this, is we're building to be the most flexible in the industry. This This concept of like, hey, like, come as you are with your processes. Um, if they're broken, like, yeah, eventually you have to fix them. But no, our product can service a wide gamut of processes. Mm-hmm. And it can we, we can fit those. Um, and more importantly, we're building towards e-commerce companies and their needs. I think how we're doing it effectively is we have a huge gamut of types of e-commerce companies, whether it's meatpacking or fish or whether it's you know, vape and controlled substances to, you know, super customized products. Or three PLs. Yeah, we already, we have this wide gamut of customers who we've all been able to service very, very well. And it forces us to really build everything in a way that's super flexible because we already have a base of really varied customers. What are you most excited about in the future of the product? Like, is it introduction of AI? Is it building our tables to be super flexible. Like what what are you most excited about in the next like five years where we're really going to disrupt the industry? Excited is like this, it changes constantly. Right now the big hype is like AI. But there is something really cool there. Uh, because we already have this product that takes in your data from wherever it's at. We have this cleaning engine that will clean it and make sure it's mapping to the correct orders. We have an alert feed that will like alert you when you know problems arise. So we have this really clean data set where all of a sudden having a large language model, you know, generate the queries to get you the data you want is like, oh, we actually we actually have prototypes right now that can do that. And so all of a sudden the, the owner, the operator, doesn't have to learn how to use the complex system. They're asking the system, hey, what should I sell to this wholesale, to this retail client? What haven't they purchased before? And our AI large language model is answering them based off the really clean data. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think the possibilities there are just really awesome. I mean, the only, th- what's limiting us right now is just pure resources. But as our resources scale up with the number of clients, the ability for a large language model to plug in is just really endless. I, I think that's what I'm most excited for too, is because if you pair a very flexible product, meaning like think like Airtable or Monday.com, where I can literally take a data set like from a page in the software, like drag, copy, you know, put it into like a custom report or something mm-hmm. and and do a prompt-based AI like, hey, how much should I buy for this customer? Like, how how much would you forecast for this customer this year? I I'm excited for the prompt-based AI to be embedded in Luminous eventually. Mm-hmm. Um and I I also like I like the pace we're going at because you know. Right now, we are growing reasonably fast right now, but we can 
we can make massive changes in our product. And it's not like we have thousands and thousands of customers mm-hmm. where that, that would totally screw the customer experience if we made those changes. Right. We can be nimble and our customers like us so far. And we're, we can, we can make changes and we can like things can, we can be nimble. We can, <laughs> we can actually be nimble where our competitors can't. When you take a look at like a Skubana or a SkuVault, Lenworks, uh, yeah, like decent products. I think we're going to have more breadth than than them, like very soon. But we can we can be much more nimble than them. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's on our side, what's on Luminous' side, is timing, and then our understanding and curiosity of the market and what we're building towards. So yeah, I think something we've done better than anybody anybody we've talked to. I'm sure there's yeah. people out there, but. We understand the market fairly well, whether that's Sin Seven or whether it's Deer or whether it's Order Hive or So Stocked, or you know, the smaller ones that are just kind of scattered around regionally. We have a pretty pretty good take on the market, and the question that we're trying to answer is like, why don't those work for people? Um, oftentimes, we'll meet with a customer. We're like, this seems like the perfect use case for Katani. ERP or uh, Katana. Katana. We we have a client named Katana. That's right. Yeah. Katana ERP. Like yeah. we're like why, um, and so we're able to ask them like why aren't you using this? And every time there's there's legitimate reasons why people aren't using a specific system, and so I think with that understanding we're able to take it into our own product and be like, all right, how do we not commit that same? I think you're bringing up something super important. If if somebody actually wants to know the difference between Luminous and other companies, like. Or, or, or like our approach to building, I really feel like that is it. You get so many founders who are tunnel visioned, and they like a competitor pops up and like <laughs> just like let's I want, let's just keep focusing on what we're doing. We're gonna grind. We're gonna outgrind them. You can't do that in this market. Like mm-hmm. like it's like we just reciprocity pretty damn quick. Like there are I could literally we could sit for. Like an hour straight and just keep naming. Oh, we have a, we have an Excel spreadsheet of hundreds of competitors. Like it is, it's the most crowded market I've ever seen. It's it, insane, and it's ah, it's it's so interesting. Like we just ran across uh, pretty damn quick. Um, and, and they're an awesome product. By yeah, the way. It's, it's a cool product. And we were asking the question, like, okay, why couldn't they service this potential customer? And it's like, okay, like we quickly find out what they can do and what they can't do, what they're building towards. And it's like, okay, well, they're just. And OMS, well, I don't even know if you can call them OMS. They they plug into Shopify and mm-hmm. they help with quick deliveries and transparency through your Shopify card. Um, do you do you know what we're able to do now that no very few systems have been able to do in the past? We're able to take the best aspect of all these smaller comp of all these d- other companies. Like we love the you know transporters and so stocked. We love the forecasting over here. We love this over there. We don't have to actually create anything brand new. We're able to take this feedback and say, we can take the best pieces of all these and bring it together in a single system. Yeah, I, that happens all the time in the sales process too. Like you just said, where oh, we need we need a really clean forecast and we have a 3PL and we need build materials and this. And it's like, okay, why don't you use Cogsy? Cogsy is a really cool tool that we've tested. Yeah. And and again, we like they try it and it's like, Oh, you know where it broke? Like, oh, they can't hook up with Etsy, or like, they can't forecast for our wholesale stuff, or uh, they're they're forecasting from 
from products to a bill of materials breaks. Like we we start finding the gaps in the market. Like ah, oh, like there's like there's little niche tools everywhere, mm-hmm. but like they break for like different subsets of the market. Yeah, lots of people are doing a, a real. They have some really cool ideas that work really really well, but they're just disconnected. It's best to be first to market. Like even patents, you can get around a patent. Mm-hmm. Like, and I do believe that. Just be better. Like, and unless mm-hmm. you have something truly proprietary, like, like I'm the one who invented this very proprietary piece of this technology, and somebody stole it, and that algorithm in the make. Like, like there's. I feel like most of the stuff that you build, even in the consumer product world or or in the software yeah. world, it's like it exists like a thousand different ways. Yeah, no, just be better. Like, be a better brand. Be a better marketer. Go to market differently. Like, mm. I don't. Nothing we're building is unique. I guess that's why I'm getting. It's like even even Cogsy. Like, oh my god, I could I could say like five other competitors that like that that do forecasting. That's like very similar. They yeah, just yeah. have a cleaner UI. It's not like they're doing anything crazy. Mm-hmm. We are in this unique place where we don't actually have to revolutionize the world. We don't have to come with, up with a brand new idea that nobody's ever come up with. It's just a matter of putting all the pieces together in a flexible way mm-hmm. that can be digested by any ops team, yeah. no matter where you are in the e-commerce space. Yeah. So I here, here's how I'll end. Um, who does who does Luminous work best for right now? Right now, absolute best. Any small to medium-sized company that's still using ShipStation and are looking to kind of upgrade to the next step seamlessly. Like those are the customers right now, where within two days we can migrate you. It doesn't even have to be a full migration. It's essentially you can roll out Luminous in parallel with your existing processes and slowly pivot things over as you need them. Oh, that's another thing. Most most software implementations. It's rip and replace. It's it's there is a go live date and that's it. That's actually something that I think I'm glad we've challenged because, like you said, because of how deep our integration is with ShipStation, we get a lot of clients who, eh, it's so common in Utah. You go from ShipStation and Google Sheets and maybe another tool mm-hmm. to NetSuite. Yeah, and it's it's that Corolla Ferrari thing. So what we did did intentionally with Luminous to adapt to that was. Instead of instead of forcing somebody to rip and replace their existing processes, like we just we sit really well on top of ShipStation. Like eventually, you could cancel it, like and that's fine. But we yeah, can well, actually we have, come in and you can you can actually start using modules in Luminous almost immediately. Yeah, we have a customer. They had a hundred plus stores in their ShipStation instance. Can you imagine having to switch all of those over to a new OMS? Yeah, making sure all your tags, all your automations. Everything is identical. Everything's synced up. You don't forget anything. Like that headache would prevent me from ever leaving. But our methodology is all right, just implement us in parallel. You can actually do both. We can pull orders over. You can fulfill them in Forup in Luminous, <laughs> or you can fulfill them in ShipStation. Um, yeah, I think it's a cool way of doing it. I want to ask like a more philosophical question though. Like, do you believe in God? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you believe in God, Brendan? <laughs> Anything of Jesus? <laughs> no, like uh, obviously, obviously, you're a builder. <laughs> you're a builder of products. Why? Why do you build? That's that. That actually is an important question for me. What actually motivates you to to build something as? Um, so we're really 
We're really going after it. <laughs> wow. What keeps you motivated to actually keep building? Uh, for me, the coolest thing, um, it, this goes back. I think that for me, the coolest thing is seeing somebody using your product and just in, enjoying it or they're using it every day and it's just part of their life. And it started, I think, in college. I built this app um, that helps students register for classes. And it was this, it kind of it went viral for a few semesters. And it was the best experience to walk through campus and to see my website open up on laptops, on cell phones, and being like, dude, I, I did that. <laughs> and nobody knew who I was. But just seeing people use it was, it was a cool that's well, what you live for. You got to give us that story. What what did you build again? So it was a so at the time I was going to BYU um, and to register for classes it was a first come first serve online, and so there was a a night my roommate came up to me and he's like, "Dude, I forgot to register for this class. I don't know if I'm ever going to get in because it's packed and everybody wants to get in it." So I built a quick script that would like just pull for an opening. And as soon as it was open, we'd get him in the class. And <laughs> the next morning it got him in and we're like, shoot. So we built a website around it and it became so popular. There's probably 10,000 active users at the time. Oh my God. Out of 30,000 students. It got to what? a point, if you weren't using uh, my app to register, you weren't getting into your class. So I had like a monopoly on the entire system. But there's something about that, like walking around and seeing people pull up your app. It's just, it's really cool. Yeah, and and uh, not even knowing it was you. It's not like mm-hmm. your name was plastered everywhere, like Brendan BB. <laughs> yeah, and it was the same thing with Forup. Like all of a sudden, everybody who's ever golfed has used what I've built, which is like a really cool. It's probably the best feeling. I I feel like that's actually where we're aligned. Is I also I want to impact e-commerce in in some way. Like I. For me, I see myself in the founders. Like I also, I love to launch products. I'm mm-hmm. launching products right now, and so like I, I really resonate with how they run business. It's so ad hoc. It's they're just gunslinging entrepreneurs that like just very reactive to what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's, I really respect that, and to see that we're able to build a product that resonates with that market more. And that they can actually adopt even at an early stage. It's, mm-hmm. If if we can get the modern e-commerce company to adopt to Luminous at an early age, because we bring so much value, we are the flexible, the most easy to use system. That's that really motivates me. Yeah, um, I think I think one of my I would love it to log on to Reddit somebody sometime on the e-commerce subreddit, and somebody asks, "What software should I use?" And Luminous is that answer. While at the same time, we're servicing a company with, you know, a hundred times the employees of a startup. And it's like, we did it. Like, I think that's what would be amazing. I, I would say the person who has been first to market um, is Odoo. That's what I would say. First to market? Mm-hmm. As far um, as... Wouldn't you say... Sin 7, Deer, Odoo, they're all in the same kind of sphere. I, I That's where it gets complex, though. Like, Odoo like, is... Even like, Bright Pearl, like Bright Pearl, they started off as an OMS, which then like acquired an inventory. So like, they sort of became an ERP. 
Um, Sin 7, they started off just as a basic inventory system. Same with Deer. Like, I, Odoo's the only one who started off, like, they raised a shit ton of money. Like, who the other are? business software ERP that's like, uh, people use it for, oh, what's it called? On demand, use it for the billing. Zoho. Oh, Zoho. Yeah. Uh, Zoho and Odoo are in like the same bucket of like, come use whatever you want. We have every similar. single product. Yeah. Odoo. I would say Odoo was the first one who like tried to take on the ERP space. Mm. And with with like good funding behind it, so it was an older company, and they start off as like a CRM, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I think they've been around for a long time. Um, I, I I would classify Odoo as like the first big disruptor that that came to market. And so, what Odoo is for those who don't know, um, go try it out. I've I've downloaded some of their apps. Um, so it's it's basically an open source buffet style self-onboarding ERP. Mm-hmm. So all of their their technology is, like I said, it's open source, so you can code on top of it. And it's very cheap. Odoo was founded in 2002. What? No way. No, so Odoo and Zoho, I think, went the same route. crap. They started as... Wow, I didn't know that. They started down a specific vertical. But most companies, most companies will start in a mm-hmm. vertical, and at some point their j- software can become generic enough to cross-apply. Okay, so, wait, so let's let's do this real fast because I think there's there's two st- talking about the market and like the booms and in, in back end software. I would say it's early, there's a there's a boom in the early two thousands where like Zoho and Odoo are are founded. Then there's like the 2011 through 2015 era where that's where all of the most recent competitors were founded, like mm-hmm. Skew Vault, Linworks, Deer Systems, and Seven, all those. Everything from purchasing, receiving, fulfillment, yeah, even OMS, like an order management system. Yeah, Odoo uh, fall. I would say Odoo falls in line with the NetSuite era of softwares. They're trying to become modern. They have a really old stack. Um, they're trying to go down market and make it as approachable as possible. But from the beginning, Odoo was like this open ERP. I think that's what was their original name, actually. Mm. Uh, but you know, NetSuite was I probably what nineties. Yeah. And you have a lot of the They got acquired ones. by Oracle in 2015. Yeah. Again, part of that big boom of mm, yeah. the next the next uh JD Edwards, same idea. Old ERP attempting to go modern with web 2.0. Uh, but just really slow, still very bulky. All of our competitors that you just named, like one of the biggest differences is they're comfortable with a certain amount. We call it churn in software. Um so like like Sin7 or Deer Systems or Odoo, they expect, because it's self-onboarding and they don't really, um, they don't they don't approach every implementation as like, we want to solve this company's problem. They're okay with like, if 100 companies come in, they try to self-onboard and 80 fail, 20 sort of succeed, like halfway, they mm-hmm. adopt like 40% of the system. That's a win for them. That's that's not a win for us. <laughs> like, um, we we don't want to be the self onboarded system until we like actually have a case for that. Mm-hmm. Like if if we're seeing eighty percent churn, like it means we're we, we didn't missed do, our mark. Yeah, completely. yeah, we, we missed our mark. We're not targeting the right people. It it's not flexible enough. We we didn't build the flexibility in the right way. Um, and I think that's that's the that will be the difference with Luminous is like we're. 
we are going to nail it before we scale it. And we already are doing that. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to become the next like Sin 7 where we're just driving like hundreds of thousands of business in there every single month and just expecting 80% of them to leave. But I, I like to think that we have something that's called latecomer advantage, where we are able to see we have the legacy systems of the 2000s, we have the web 2.0 revolution of the 2010s, 2015s, and we're able to come in now and take the best pieces of those ep- eras, the best pieces of each of the software that people love, and combine into a single system that works really well together. And I think that's ultimately what we're doing, and that's why it's working right now. Yeah, and there's a couple trends that are in our favor right now that people haven't quite figured out. So I'd say the first trend that I would say is you have these direct, there's the, obviously e-commerce has been on this perpetual rise, okay? The boom in e-commerce, I would say starting like around, I don't know, 2015 to 2017, that's when people started to, e-commerce brands that were like normally just digitally native, they would just sell on Amazon and Shopify or like online platforms, they they started going to retail or they started doing specialty wholesale. That became a thing in mm-hmm. the past like five years. And it broke a lot of systems. A lot of those 2013 to 2017 systems, like SKU Vault, Linworks, blah, blah, blah. It broke their systems. Um, and then I'd say like another trend that we're following really closely is uh, with the boom of e-commerce, um, there's also the COVID pop. And the COVID pop, these historical manufacturers or brands in like preservatives or controlled uh, substances, control substances, animal products, historically that, you know, like, why would you go direct to consumer? And then COVID happened. It's like, whoa, we can go direct to consumer. Those brands popped off in the past three, three to five years. And um, they're super complex. They can't use a 3PL. Mm-hmm. And they need a system that cares about implementation because they need somebody to help them and it needs to be cost effective. And it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so th- those are a couple of the trends that we're, we're following right now um, that we're really excited about. Agreed. 